0: we are um uh, gathering together uh, while we're doing this whole thing, I'm gonna invite you to also, if you have this in your house, I'm gonna invite you to grab a candle um, and maybe a lighter or a match or something like that. Uh, we're gonna be using that at the end of the service and I know some of you are probably thinking if you were here a couple weeks ago um, before this whole thing happened, but at the beginning of our red letter series, you're thinking, oh no, she's gonna burn the house down. I will not burn the house down and I'm not gonna ask you to burn anything either. But if you can grab a candle and and you can grab a lighter. Um, that would be great. I'm going to give you a second to go ahead and do that and continue to say hello to one another. Um, and then we're going to dive into our fresh word uh, in our red letter series on Luke 20. All right. Okay, good. I'm all set. All right. Let's go ahead and just a reminder, we're going to be doing a Q and A at the end. And so if you want to, you can submit your comments. Chris is going to queue them up for me at the end. We can talk about them. Uh, anytime that something comes up, you can just enter it into the comment section and we'll address it uh, when we get there. So we are in weeks, week six of our red letter series. And um, we've really been looking over the past several weeks of uh, the stories and the words that Jesus had spoken on his journey to Jerusalem, the place where he would die and then miraculously be resurrected back to life. And Jesus really on this journey has been preparing his disciples. Um, He's been preparing his disciples to face his death, but also to face his resurrection Um, and to know what it looks like to join him in the mission, in in carrying out and, and proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God to the whole world. Now, these conversations that Jesus has been having with the disciples and the people along the way, and even the religious leaders, um, some of those conversations have been really comforting. They've been gentle. Uh, some of them have been harsh and jarring, but either way, all of them have sort of proclaimed the kingdom of God. They have let them know that this is what the kingdom is all about, and this is what you need to be prepared for in that. Thank you. Um and uh it's been fascinating that to me that over the past two weeks, um and this week included that even though each of these messages really were planned. Way before the coronavirus ever happened, pre-corona, pre-social distancing, pre-COVID-19, all of them have hit home. All of them have spoken into this exact cultural moment in terms of what we need to hear right now. Now, two weeks ago... We really talked about the parable that Jesus gave where he spoke about this guy who who really had lost his job, which is actually the situation that many of us are in now. Uh, many of us in the congregation have lost work. And, and Jesus in this moment speaks this parable and he gives wisdom about what to do with resources when stuff like that happens and, and encourages us to lean into the generosity of God. Now, last week, we talked about three lost parables that Jesus gives the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And it reminded us that when we feel most lost, it's really a reminder that we ought. It doesn't feel really comforting, but it's also a reminder that even more than being lost, we are a profound and indescribable treasure of our holy God who would never stop searching for us until we are found. And so we've kind of talked about how in those moments where we feel lost in the midst of all of this, have that be a reminder that God is with you, that he is searching for you, and that you have been found. Now, this week is all about control and what we have control over and and really what we don't have control over. And if that really doesn't get you thinking of how like this whole thing ties together to the cultural moment that we're in, let me just like unpack the story of what is happening in our household to kind of make this a little bit clearer. Now, I don't know what's happening in your household, but in our household, um, there are two different ways that this whole quarantine and social distancing thing, say at home thing, homeschooling thing is being approached. There is one adult who will remain nameless, who is dealing with the whole situation by setting up very strict structures and schedules and routines that, um, and they they believe that the best way to get through this whole thing is to just follow that to a T, that each day we must stick to this schedule. And, and there are lists upon lists of what needs to be done and accomplished when and by who. Now, meanwhile, there's another adult in the house who will also remain nameless um, who like has a very different approach to this whole thing. Uh, their approach is very much more flexible and a little less productive and slightly more entertainment-based. Uh, it's as if like if we just sleep through this whole thing, we'll all be fine. Now, neither of those things are right or wrong. And uh it took a very long counseling session on Friday to help me be able to say that. That neither one of those ways with dealing with all of this is right or wrong instead both of them are really reflections of how different people process through things that are very much beyond their control uh that that when they're in uncontrollable situations some people say hey i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna we're gonna structure everything about this and other people say you know what we're just gonna we're just gonna distract and entertain through this thing and it's just two very different ways um to deal with the whole situation. Now, I don't know what is happening in your house, uh, but there's a reality that oftentimes when we start to lose control, uh, when we start to lose power, whether it's the result of what we're experiencing from the quake of this pandemic, or it's the result of something completely different um, to your situation, our reaction to our loss of control is, is often to grip tighter and to try to control the things that we can control so that we don't lose control of those things as well. Sometimes again, it's scheduling things out and sometimes it's sort of, um, about diverting attention and distracting so you don't have to deal with what's happening. And believe it or not, Jesus has something to say to his followers about control. And so we're going to look at that today. Now, uh, the context to which Jesus was speaking this parable and, and having this conversation is probably very different than the one we're having today. But it still is talking to people who are trying to hold on to their power and to their control. See, Jesus had just entered into Jerusalem. And there was, as he entered into Jerusalem, there was a parade of people that were cheering and shouting his name, and so excited that he had finally entered the city of Jerusalem. However, there were these religious leaders and 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 Pharisees, and they were not cheering. For them, uh, Jesus's arrival was a huge threat to their power and their control and their position. I mean, he had already been teaching for a long time against the Pharisees and against the religious leaders and sort of reframing scripture where it very much showed that the Pharisees and the religious leaders didn't know it and didn't have control. Um, And now there had been a popularity parade as he had entered into Jerusalem. And then right after this parade, Jesus enters into the city and he enters into the temple. It was their temple. It was their holy place. It was their way of life. And he enters in and he starts throwing things around and he starts yelling about how they're doing everything wrong. In fact, he chases everyone out of the temple. And the only thought left in the religious leader's head is, who does he think he is. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? In their mind, everything that they had done and everything that they were doing was to protect the purity of their religion, the, the right way of living and their temple. But the reality is, is that what they were actually doing was just protecting their power and their position and trying to control all of the things. And so soon after this whole temple debacle happens, uh, Jesus Luke tells us that the religious leaders went to Jesus. He was teaching a group of people and the religious leaders kind of shoved in elbows and, and said, Hey, uh, we have a question for you. And they start to ask him all these questions about where he gets his authority to teach and to heal and to enter their temple in this way. Where does his authority come from? Now, Jesus doesn't actually answer their question. Instead, what Jesus does is he goes back, he kind of like sidelines them, goes back to teaching the people that he was teaching before, but knowing that the religious leaders were like eavesdropping and listening in on how he was teaching these people, he actually begins to tell them a parable or a story that is actually really all about the religious leaders who are listening in. And in a lot of ways, it's actually the very answer to the question that the Pharisees and the religious leaders wanted to know about his authority and why he teaches and why he heals and all the things that he does what he does. And this parable starts in this way. Jesus says, A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now, this idea that an owner would rent out his vineyard to some tenants and then go away is actually not an uncommon thing. Uh, it was pretty common to find a tenant to steward the land and manage it. That was all very normal. And it would be expected that the tenant would be incredibly respectful of the owner's property. See, it was an honor to take care of another person's land, um, to make a living off of it. This, this, like, basically, land was scarce and tenants were a dime of dozens. So the tenants would do whatever they could in order to stay on the land and be respectful to the landowner. And then the law sort of reinforced this because the legal rights of the land was always sided with the owner of the land. And so oftentimes, as a part of these rental deals, the owner would get a cut of whatever the proceeds were. Whatever was grown on the land, the owner would get some of it. So in this parable, when the owner sends a messenger and says, hey, we'd like to take some of the fruit to bring to the owner, everything is on the up and up. Everything seems as expected, but then there is an unexpected twist that happens. Jesus tells us that the tenants beat him. The tenants beat the messenger and sent him away empty handed. And then the owner sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty handed. He still sent a third and they wounded him and threw him out. And then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I shall send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and then the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of this vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the (laughs) vineyard to others. Good night. Just kidding. Okay, so. Now, the twist in the parable comes when the tenants begin to treat the land as if they are the owner, as if they are the owner of all of this land, as if they have the power and they have the control. They have the rights to the land and they can do whatever they feel like doing. And they even kill the son in order to keep the power and keep the control. And when in reality, the owner is the one that's taking all the risk. And the owner really is the one who has the legal right to decide how the land is to be tended. But the tenants completely disregard the owner, and they begin to do whatever they want as if they had the power and the control and the authority of the land. Now, the characters in the story are pretty easily identified. It's not a tricky one, this parable. The landowner is God. And the tenants are the religious leaders and the messengers are the prophets that God had sent over and over and over again throughout the years, even up to John the Baptist, just like a few years before in order to warn the people and tell the people, hey, you've got to remember who owns this land. You have to remember that you are just tenants. And then finally, the son who is sent is of course Jesus, God's own son, who finally comes and says, hey listen, but the tenants kill Jesus. Now even though that hasn't happened yet in the story, this is a great place where Jesus is sort of foreshadowing his own death. Now, the vineyard, represents what belongs to god but has been given to others to care for to steward and and to sort of cultivate now in the case of the religious leaders um the vineyard that god had given them was israel it was god's people it was the land and it was the law it was the covenant and god had sort of given it to them to entrust them with that to cultivate it and teach the people well and and follow after god and because god was the owner It was their job to follow God's instructions, but they had begun to complete the people and the law and the land as if they were the owner that they had control and they had power over it. Now, even though Jesus here is specifically speaking to the religious leaders, the reality is, is that God has given each one of us a vineyard of some kind to take care of, um, to steward and to cultivate according to God's plans. Um, but oftentimes what we do when God gives us something is we kind of disregard the fact that God is the owner and we start just kind of tending to things that reflect our priorities and, and what we want to do with those things. And so So it doesn't matter if the thing that has been given to us is our money or our sexuality or our relationships or our possessions or even our time. Sometimes we begin to think with all of those things that we are the owners rather than just the tenants of what has been given to us. And like the tenants in the story, when someone comes to us and tries to remind us that we are not in control, that we are not the owners, we don't, we don't really like that so much. Sometimes the person who comes or the messenger who comes is a parent, sometimes it's a leader or a mentor, sometimes it's a friend and sometimes it's a pastor and they're trying to tell you you're not the owner. You're just the tenant and you're not doing this the way the owner would want you to do this. You're not following God's directions. Now, although most of us would probably not kill that messenger physically, there is a type of killing of them that happens a lot of times and it happens in the silencing of their voices. And it happens in the ending of their relationship. You you turn off the live feed. <laughs> uh, you stop connecting with that person. You make it very clear that you are not interested in having a conversation about those things any longer. You don't want to hear the messenger. You don't want to hear what that person has to say. But sometimes what happens is the messenger that's trying to get our attention that we're not in control is not a person. So they're a little harder to silence. Sometimes the messenger that's trying to tell us that we're not in control is actually life. (laughs) Life shows up and is showing you, you are not in control. You are not the owner. You do not have power over this thing. See, a crisis arises or a loss happens or a pandemic falls from the sky onto the world. And there's this realization that you're not in control. Now, that is not to say that God has created the crisis or that God was the one who causes a loss or that even that God is the causational agent of this pandemic. Instead, sometimes these awful things are just the result of living in a broken and sinful world. It's a reminder that we have to put our life and our trust into something that is bigger than us. Because we're not in control and we don't have the power. And what Jesus is doing in this parable is that he is daringly trying to challenge the narrative of the religious leaders. That they were in control or in charge of their own situation. And Jesus was trying to help them understand that this way of living and believing that they were the owners isn't going to work. That they really weren't. They didn't have control. And, and the whole way of living as if they did was going to end in one of two ways. And Jesus tells them this in verse 18. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Now, this is a little bit of a riddle that Jesus is saying here, but, but what he's saying is that the religious leaders or our response to this parable can either be that we are broken or that we are crushed. Now, neither one of those sounds very good, but, but think of it this way. If you f- break your arm or if you hurt your arm, Would you rather it be broken or would you rather it be crushed? Because if you're going to break your arm, that means like maybe it has to be reset, worst case, but you just put a cast on and then it heals itself. If you have crushed your arm, that means surgery and pins and a long recovery and maybe it never really recovers fully. It's a much, although both are our cause of pain, being crushed is far more destructive now coming term to terms with the fact that you are not in control and that you are not in in charge is going to be painful either way but the option where you hold on to control for tooth and nail and you refuse to admit that you are not in control will actually result in being crushed but the less painful way is to be broken so what does it look like to be broken? It looks like surrendering your pride. It looks like laying down your arrogance. It looks like admitting that you are not in control and that we are not self-sufficient, that we cannot control our lives. We can't control what's going on. And when we get to a place where we can do this, when we can like, really, really admit and own this truth, It's going to cause a lot of grief and we will be broken by the brokenness of this world, but we're not going to be crushed. I mean, think about this for a second. Think of two different people uh, who, like two different people can go through the same set of circumstances, a loss or a crisis, and depending on how they respond to these circumstances, they can come through the other side with either a really hard heart Filled with resentment and bitterness or they can come through the other side with a softer heart filled with more compassion and peace i don't want to oversimplify it too much but if you think that you are in charge of everything if you think you can control everything oftentimes what happens is you do come out on the other side with a harder heart but if you embrace the fact that you aren't in control that you are just a tenant it becomes easier to turn to the one who is the owner. It becomes easier to cry out to him and find out grace and compassion and mercy and release. Now, a friend of mine was reminding me, of the story in the Old Testament about the Israelites um, who were wandering through the desert. And for me, the story of the Israelites wandering through the desert is something that I have come back to again and again and again throughout my life. Um, but this particular uh, time, this friend of mine was mentioning this. They were talking about how they reminded me that when the, when the uh, Israelites had left Egypt... Uh, the slavery of Egypt, but before they had arrived at the promised land, they were sort of just wandering around in the desert. But the book of Numbers uh, reminds us that they were really, as they were wandering through the desert, they were being led by God. They were being led by his presence, which was manifested by a cloud during the day and a Pillar of fire by night. And I would love to know like what that actually looked like. But a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And how they did this whole thing was that whenever the cloud would move, the people of Israel would pack up their stuff and they would move with the cloud. And then the cloud would settle and they would settle. Or if the pillar of fire in the middle of the night began to move, they would pack everything up and they would move. And when the fire would settle, then they would settle and they would set up camp. And they really never knew how long it would be for them to stay at one given location or how long it would be that they would be on the move. Uh, their encampment may be only a day or it might be a month or in some cases it was a year. And, and really that was okay with them. Um, the account in Numbers tells us this. That is how it continued to be the cloud covered it and at night it looked like fire Whenever the cloud lifted from the tent the israelites set out and whenever the cloud settled the israelites encamped At the lord's command the israelites set out and at his command they encamped As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle they remained in camp Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year The israelites would remain in camp and and not set out but when it lifted, they would set out. And the Lord, at the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order. See, their coming and their going was all at the Lord's command. The rhythm of their life was all submitted to God in direct obedience. And you know, as I was as they were reminding me of this, what What I was reminded of was that one of the chief struggles for many of us in the midst of this whole cultural moment and this current pandemic is the lack of the answer to the question, how long? How long is this going to go on for? How long will this last? And it seems like every expert has a totally different answer. And we just don't know because it's all completely outside of our control we aren't in control of the timeline at all but what we do have control over is the decision to say as long as we're here as long as we're camped out here i will live a life of obedience while we're camped out here we will turn our hearts to the yes position to God. We will seek him and we will engage in rhythms of listening and learning. We will engage in rhythms of blessing one another and eating together, even if that means digitally, that we will engage in these rhythms of opening our eyes and seeing how we can be sent, even in the midst of this circumstance. For however long we are encamped here, we will live a life of obedience. Now see, for the Israelites, no matter whether it was a short time or a long time, the cloud was always with them in the day, and the fire was always with them in the night. And this cloud and this fire represents the presence of God. See, God is here and God is present no matter how long we are here. God's spirit is present with us. And even if it's a completely different thing that you're camping out for, even if it has nothing to do with COVID-19 or the coronavirus, no matter how long you're camped out for that thing too, God's spirit and his presence is here with you. And my prayer for you is that the cloud and the fire of his presence would bring you great comfort. That although you're not in control, the one who is with you is. Now, for me, the control piece and the how long question is uh, one that I am really, really struggling with. So I wanted to offer you a rhythm that you might want to incorporate into your life for the next season. And and it's one that I think is going to help me as well. And my plan is to incorporate this also. And the plan is this. It's the idea that every night in the evening, as it gets dark, that I would and you would light a candle. As a reminder that God's presence is with you. That the same presence that encamped with the Israelites throughout their whole time wandering in the desert is now with you here. And no matter how long this might be, the one who is in control is with you. And so I invite you to also light your candle now as we pray together. Father God, you are the light of the world. You are the God that is with us. No matter what, no matter what desert we might find ourselves wandering through, you are the God who is with us. And so, Father God, I pray that in every corner, in every household, in every space that our people are in right now, that they may cling to you as the God who is in control, that we would open our hands and say, I'm not in control, (laughs) that we would admit that and we would release that as hard as that is, as broken as that may make us or make us realize that we are. That we would let go of that and recognize that you, Father God, are the one that is in control. That you are the one who can hold the world together. And so, Father God, would you be with us in this place? Would you remind us of this truth in our darkest nights? That you are the cloud that is with us by day and you are the fire that is with us at night. Father, God, we pray all of those things in your holy and your precious name. Amen. Amen. Um, Okay, let's... uh... Let's go to our live Q&A. Um, oh, we have a couple questions. <laughs> I'm so glad that you guys asked questions because otherwise this Q&A section would be like no good. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for putting your thinking caps on and and asking some. So uh, one of our first questions is, what does it practically look like to admit that we are just the tenants and not the owners and let go of control? <laughs> that is really good. Um I'm learning this, <laughs> uh, this, you know, some messages I can preach and be like, yes, I, I feel like I am, um, I am well advanced in figuring these things out. And then this, this message, I feel like I'm a beggar. That's just showing another starving person where to find a little crust of bread and where to find a little food. But I am, so, so I'm still figuring this out, but, but I am reminded of this verse, um, in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and it says um, therefore in view of God's mercy offer yourself as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God and what I love about that verse is that whole the the word offer yourself as a living sacrifice offer yourself is a verb type that is not once and done it's a like, do it now and do it tomorrow and do it the next day and do it the next day and the day after that and on and so forth forever. Uh, and, and I remember somebody once told me that the reason that we are commanded to do that, do it today and do it tomorrow and do it the next day, is because as a living sacrifice, like when you have a dead sacrifice, it's like dead. So you put it on the altar and it just stays there. But when you're a living sacrifice, we get on the altar and then we like wander off and we start walking away. And so this whole idea of offering yourself in the morning, every morning and the day after that and the day after that, because we are prone to wander as living people, we're prone to wander. So I wonder if it begins in the morning or in the evening as a regular practice, maybe you've set an alarm on your phone and, and you just take a few minutes to breathe and remind yourself and admit to God that you're not in control, that you are just a tenant, that he's in control. And you sit with that for just a few minutes, and you remind yourself the degree to which you are completely and 100% reliant on him to care for you and protect you and that we would find these regular rhythms in our lives to continue to remind ourselves that and offer that up and offer that up and offer that up because we are living sacrifices that just keep crawling off the altar. Uh, and so I think that that is going to be my practice, um, that I'm going to find a couple rhythms throughout the day where I just remind myself, okay, <sighs> nobody's following schedule. I am not in control. But the one who is with me is. Uh, So that's, that's what I'd say. Uh, Another question is a lot of times people are afraid during these times. How can we help them see God is with them? Oh, yeah. Um, I think stories are really powerful. Um, I have a good friend of mine who, who says that um, the best way to show people a, a new direction or a new way to living is not to tell them what to do, um, but to tell them a story. And so sometimes I think the best way we can do that is to actually tell the story of how we're afraid, to actually admit to our own fears, rather than like covering them up and saying, I'm not afraid, everything's fine, but to actually admit to our fears, to share the ways that we are afraid, and then to, to share the story of how we have seen God with us how we have seen god show up in these amazing ways and and with that i also think what is helpful um in the, in throughout scripture, um, the Israelite people actually, as they went to these different places and God did things for them, God showed up in these miraculous ways. Uh, God and the God commands the people and the people got into these rhythms of setting up these altars of remembrance. And for the people, they were really just stacks of stones that they just, they typically would stack 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they'd stack 12 stones and they'd say, this is to remind us that God showed up. This is to remind us that God was faithful. This is to remind us that when we had no way God created a way and I actually think that um, we can't tell these stories to other people unless we start seeing them and recognizing the ways that God has been with us in the past and so I think that creating altars of remembrance is a great practice for our congregation and for the people of God in order to remember well How have we seen God? (laughs) How has God shown up for us? And that as we create these, maybe physically, these altars of remembrance, we begin to remember the way that God showed up for us so that we become less afraid. And then when others are afraid, we can begin to tell them the story. Yeah, I was afraid too. I am afraid. But this is what I keep remembering. I keep remembering that God showed up in my darkest time. I keep remembering that he He did this this other time, and I'm waiting for him to come and do this this time. And so I think I think that telling people that God is with them is oftentimes not nearly as helpful as saying, here's a story of when God was with me. And so I I hope hope that's helpful for you as as we continue to share this light and continue to um, uh, let people know that that God is that God is with them.